A teenage boy falls into a dangerous love obsession which threatens his future along with damaging all those around him. Will you let go of this dangerous obsession or learn to move on? Hello everyone, I'm Caleb Leger. I'm Connor Izagari. And welcome to a new episode of Beyond the Bad. Before I stay with this film, is I just want to point out that this took because what and you probably understand it took me a long time to summarize the film into what I had. So I was like, how do I summarize this? It, it was one of the worst ones to come up with. Same with the question I have, but hopefully it's something we can work with. Um, okay. I'm, I'm telling you, this film, it's, it's it honestly not leave a lot of room to work with, in my opinion. Um, but with that said, let's just get to it. We are talking about 1981's romantic trauma, Endless Love. Uh, released to extremely poor reviews and a modest box office. Uh, you know, nothing too... Uh, great, not too bad. I don't really know because I could not find a budget on this. I just know what his box office was, and for eighty-one, it's you know it's modest. Uh, the film has kind of largely been forgotten for the most part. Uh, mostly this most notable con- contribution to filming the title song, uh, which became a huge hit, uh, received Academy Award nomination, Golden Globe nominations, and five Grammy Award nominations. So the song was a huge hit, not the movie. So the song got five Grammy nominations. Somehow got five. How does that even happen? The Grammy nominee, like the whole Grammy thing, makes no fucking sense to me. Look, this is the same organization that uh, after the whole Marilyn Manson allegation, like first happened, like first popped up, uh, they announced, "Hey, we're not, you know, nominating him for these categories." And then they clarified, like, "Well, we're not nominating his new album. This all happened was new album, new possibly last album." released um but then they went they clarified like not that but we're nominating the song he wrote and uh collaborated with someone with still sounds to me like they're still awarding a rapist but you know yeah yeah <laughs> and obviously they still got backlash like we were like that's still giving him recognition it's so, like if it's like if roman polanski was up for oscars this year and they're like we're not we would never think of awarding him best director even a nomination however he did produce this movie <laughs> It's like same thing, dude. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> it was it was weird. Like they were like, we're not here for this reason, but we are still nominating him for this reason. Oh. Yeah, I knew about "Endless Love" the song thanks to Happy Gilmore, but I knew nothing about the movie, and now I know too much about the movie. I know way too much, but uh, on all that, on all of that notes, well, shoot OT for the the score, the good old score, the baseline for this. Why is "Endless Love" here? Because according to Rotten Tomatoes, this film has a 26% critic score, 52% audience score, and no critics consensus because this only has 19 reviews on the website. So even the critics are just like this film has been trapped in 1981. No one cares beyond that. And that does happen sometimes. So but that, that's enough for us to, you know, count it as a contender for this show. Yeah, yeah, more than enough to count it for this show. Um, for the question, 
like I said, this film did not usually, you know, I, I can work usually come at a lot of angles with most of our films, not with this one. Um, but with, on that, I know I've kind of made it quite known my feelings on the romantic genre of cinema. Um, so my first part of the question is, what are your thoughts on it? And do you have any personal favorites or maybe an all time favorite love story in general from cinema? That's a good question. Uh, we're always talking about, you know, genre films, mostly horror, sci-fi, fantasy, comedy. We don't really, dramas just aren't your bag. And I, I get that. And this is not a good contender to push you further in that direction. That's for damn sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love a good love story. A good, a good love story can change your life. It can make you reevaluate the way you look at, at life. And when you can get a really good one, it's never it never leaves you. But there are so many bad ones. That's the problem. Every love story, especially in movies, thinks they're Casablanca. Always. And most of the time, they're fucking endless love. <laughs> so uh, in terms of personal favorites, um, I think my all-time favorite love story is probably The Princess Bride. I, uh, you know what? I can support that one. Yeah. Princess Bride's a really good one. It's a great movie. It's a comedy, fantasy, you know, swashbuckler. It's it's everything. But at the heart of it is this beautiful love story between Buttercup and Wesley that you just can't help but get invested in. Uh, another favorite, obviously, is, you know, Back to the Future. I love the love story in that. You know, George and Lorraine finding each other across time and Marty being instrumental in making sure that happens. The moment where they kiss is one of my favorite movie moments of all time. It just feels so earned. It's It's wonderful. Yeah, uh, and that's the big thing is like you need to feel it, a a sense of accomplishment. You need to feel like they belong together, like you've invested time in this. They end up together, you feel like you were part of that. That's that's how a love story invests you. And this did not have that in the fucking slightest. Uh you have any love stories that you like like in in cinema? In cinema uh you know, uh, I'm kind of with you in that. Like, I mean, I mean, obviously, as I've no, I'm not going to get into my thoughts on romantic other than like you guys know. If you listen to podcast, I'm not being into this, but I do have some, some personal favorite love stories, and they they're kind of like what you and that they're in usually in genre films that just do it right. Um, one that we did recently, I actually do really enjoy the heart of the romance and Sean and the Dead between <laughs> Sean and Liz. It really is a sweet romance in the center of all the craziness going on. Um. And it does what it should do. It makes them realize what they love about each other. They grow as people. And it, it, it you do believe that, yeah, these you they do deserve each other. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's you hit the nail on the head with that. With like, you know, I think what and my thing and my biggest thing other than the over the topness sometimes and we were with these rom- romantic traumas is that a lot of times um, whenever I have had to sit through one or for a reason I've just seen one, right? Like I have a sister, so I sat through the fucking Twilight films to be a good big brother. Um, I watch it and I look at people that are either not compatible or they're just horrendous people, and you're like, these guys would not be together. What the fuck? <laughs> Yet so many people watch you going, Oh my god, it's so sweet. I'm like, no, it's not, it's toxic. This is a toxic thing we're watching. Um, yet things like Back to the Future or Shaun the Dead, um, they find a way. And it's amazing how these are genre type films, but they find a way to put in sweet love stories. Yeah. Um, I'd argue Pirates of the Caribbean with uh, Keira Knightley and Orlando Bloom. 
they do a really good job in those first three films solidifying their relationship and their love for each other. Yeah, for sure. That's a that's a great example. You know, we it at the heart of it is, you know, two souls finding each other. And that's that's paramount. Uh, one that I always love shouting out is Shrek. I think that's one of the smartest, most endearing love stories I've ever seen, because it's about two people accepting each other for their flaws and finding love in what's best about them. That's that's wonderful. Uh, yeah. And I love seeing, you know, the buildup. I think I, I love when it's in genre films, because that just tells me that it's a very well-written movie. Because if you can do, you know, comedy and drama and horror all at the same time and like have it actually amount to something, you're a fantastic storyteller. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And even in, um, you know, and not even just beyond your traditional, but, you know, these films when they do like, you know, the two best friends and stuff like that, but they paint it as a love story sometimes because you know, it's just two bros and it still works. You know what I mean? Um, a good example that's like super bad with obviously Michael Sarah and, you know, Jonah Hill's relationship as best friends in a weird way. It's a love story. You know, you're seeing them have to accept, you know, their friendship for each other. They've been bros all life and they got to they got to move apart. You know, I've got a great example of that. Um, Hot Fuzz 2007, the mid part of the Cornetto trilogy. There was supposed to be a female love interest in that movie, but the character got cut for time. And so they transferred all of her lines to Nick Frost to like build their bromance into something powerful. Like the like when he's uh, when they're at his apartment, uh, Nick Frost's apartment, and he's like, you know, I don't know how to switch off or like you, or, uh, Nick Frost is like, you need to learn how to switch off. And Simon Pegg's like, I don't know how. And Nick Frost is like, I'll show you how. And then opens the movie cabinet and they watch Point Break. It's like <laughs> that was supposed to be like, the you know, the, the dialogue leading towards like a romantic kiss. But they turned it into a bromance. And I just I love that it, it still worked. If anything, it made the movie even better. Yeah, exactly. It made it so. Yeah, it made it better. And that's what I'm saying. Like, to me, I think that's why I can't get into it. Like, because I watched so many romantic movies that that's their thing. That's what they're supposed to do is that's all they're based around. And they fell at it hard whereas things i don't even that's not their point like horror or you know pride security being this high sea swashbuckling pirates movie yet it does a much better job of giving me a believable love story and people that i actually believe and invest in well that's because a lot of these films you know the like these romantic dramas they're not really romantic like romantic films they're melodramas like they're just there to you know be outrageously over the top and create scenarios that would never fucking happen. Whereas, you know, in genre films, I think a lot of that is, you know, using realistic characters to justify and relate, like let the audience relate to a crazy scenario. So you've got more believable interaction. Yeah. And I find that I kind of ironic that in a film like Pirates of the Caribbean, you've got more real character development than you do in a film like Endless Love. <laughs> yes. Um, even like you know, obviously, I know the big one people have talked about Rocky, right? The Rocky franchise, Adrian, right? It's an yeah. iconic relationship. It works, and it's not—it's a fucking boxing trauma, but it works, and they made it work for five. You know, obviously, until they did Balboa, and it was a sad she had passed away. But even then, they still found a way to make it work. You saw the hurt in Rocky. You saw the pain of losing someone he loved so much. And that continued into the Creed films where a big part of Rocky's you know, drive is that all he wants to do is see her again. He doesn't care about 
being on this world anymore. Like he sees this as a way to see Adrian again. And that's just, you know, it's a love story for the fucking ages is Rocky and Adrian. It's really beautiful. And Mm -hmm. it's also, you know, that's franchise. It has a weird robot in part four. Cause why not? It was the, I I think the director's cut they did recently that Simone did. I think he took the robot out. He did. (laughs) Thank God. Um, Going not even movies, but going small scale because I know you're a fan. I, I know I got you into shows. I got into it, but Supernatural. Yeah. Um, the relationship of the two brothers for fi- I would argue carry helped carry that show for 15 seasons. Yeah, it was so strong that they never needed a you know romantic subplot apart from like occasionally and for like a couple episodes. But there was never a like overarching romantic subplot in that entire show's run. I think the, the one they almost, you know, the one they had at the beginning, she died in the pilot. It's, I, I find that kind of funny that like the bromance is the core of that show. And then you've also got, you know, Castiel and the whole, you know, possible love there. But I also would equate that to bromance. But, yeah. you know, if people want to uh, take more away from that, that's totally up to them. I don't want to take away from them. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's love is. You know, it comes in different shapes and sizes. It's, you know, it's romantic love, it's brotherly love, but it always needs to be done right or else it looks ridiculous and it feels incomplete and inconsistent. Yes. Um, I would actually, I would argue that Disney gets it right with a lot of their animated films and what they do with their animated stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, uh, one thing that hit my head a while bit was the, the Lion King when, um, you know, Simba is out on his own and he finds his childhood crush essentially and they, they reignite the flame and you as a kid you know i'm watching this animated movie with animated lions and as a kid i'm falling for it i'm into it you know um i've talked about all the time the fox and the hound you know i've mentioned before this you know they do such great great job building the title characters um relationship up so much that when they get to the point where you know one has to get removed because it was being bad I, i cry i do every to this day i'm 29 years old as soon as the scene comes up, I'm like, oh, God damn it, here it comes. Dude, you know, a good love story, a good relationship, the way it's written can hit you in ways you didn't even think was possible. I was watching, um, I'm a big fan of the Orville, and there was an episode last week that had um, these two uh, gay aliens have been together for the whole show, and they had a moment that was so real and powerful, I was in tears. Like, I couldn't believe the point we got into with that three seasons in, I was so invested in this relationship and the way these characters like felt about one another that I was just, I was sobbing. It was incredibly powerful. So really it is all about writing the characters. It really comes down to like, you need to create a believable relationship or else you've got nothing. Exactly. And then you get something like, you know, kind of swing it now to, I'll say I'm kind of going looking at the other side of right actual romantic traumas. Like, but I'll mention the notebook, probably one of the most, one of the most famous ones. You know, I have seen it. I'm not taking away from people that like it, but they're terrible characters. I felt nothing because they were not right for, I'm watching and going, why do people think that these two need to be together? They're horrible for each other. That's a big... it, okay. Yeah, go on. Sorry, I was about to say because of it, at no point was I crying. Like everyone else, at no point was I like, oh my, or like at the end, right? You know, was I crying? Or I'm like, no, I found nothing because they shouldn't be together. This is this is horrible. Well, that's one thing I notice in a lot of those the melodramas and the romantic comedies is the characters are so forced together. 
it's always just like the lead actress and the lead actor have to end up together regardless of whether or not it makes sense. And if it doesn't make sense, you're always just like, well, what the fuck is this? And you just feel like you wasted some time and you, and some people, you know, unfortunately can like use these movies to kind of justify their own toxic traits. I've seen that too. And that's incredibly fucked up. Yeah. Look, Guys, don't hang off a fucking Ferris wheel from professing your love to a chick. One, that's going to get you killed if you slip. And two, that's just crazy. A little crazy. Um, But yeah, and it's crazy. And actually thinking about it, right, because we did this one a little bit ago, but like, you know, critics, you know, these movies get good reviews, right? It's audiences love them. Critics love them for some reason, I guess, because the whole melodrama factor. But then it's like, they'll do like sex drive, right? They'll shit on that movie. They'll destroy it because oh, it's raunchy comedy. But I'm like, to to this day, since I saw this kid, the relationship they established between the main our main character and Felicia is actually really good. If you watch it, you're like the core relation. Seeing those two realize that hey, we really like each other. Yeah. To me, is believable. Like you get, you're like, yeah, no, I I I, I believe that at the end. You know, yeah, you get, and then obviously it being a comedy with quick moment of like finally, and you're laughing your ass off. But for, you know, you you believe it, whereas you know, watching something that that's like I said, the main goal in like the Notebook or Dear John or insert any Nicholas Sparks film, really. Um, I'm starting going, God, these are so toxic. These are the most toxic things I've seen in my life. Twilight, like not a healthy relationship, one bit. Not. I know. I sat through that whole franchise to be a good big brother. I cannot stress that enough. I'm an only child, so. However, I do have I, my mom had no one to go with for the first. I, I saw part three at the movies and I watched part one and two. But after that, I was like, I'm, I'm done. You have oh, you, jumped off, you jumped off when I jumped off. I've not seen Breaking Dawn parts one and two. I've only seen up to Eclipse. I had to put my foot down and be like, Mom, you have two sisters. Like, stop taking me to these. <laughs> I just luckily my mom and sister got so into it. And then like one of my aunts was into it that they were like, hey, they just finally took my sister to the movies to go see them. And I was like, fuck yeah. I was like, I don't have to go to that. It's, you know, I got suckered when it was at home. But the, she watches your movies all the time. Like, no. But going to the movies? Nope. You guys have your fun little day. I'm going to go stay home and watch Devil's Rejects. I just want to make it very clear here. You know, I have no problem with drama. I No problem with love stories at all. I hate forced narratives and terrible characters. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. And, and those yeah. happen to be really prevalent in films like this, unfortunately. Yes. And look, I know we I know we joke, and yes, I'm not, you know, I always say it, I'm not obviously going straight for the genre stuff with type films I like. With that said, I actually have nothing against traumas. I really don't have anything against a good romantic trauma. I really don't. Um, but it's like you said, my issue, what I found in a lot of these, um, is it's just you get unbelievable characters, you usually get really unlikable characters for some reason, like all the fucking time. There's always like a scene where like they scream at each other and like yelling, you know, like, I love you. God damn it. Like, say it. And it's like, that's not it's not healthy. That's not a good way to start a relationship. Like, no. And, and then the other person's always like, you know, endeared by that. And I'm like, you want to just be like, this is a walking red flag. Like, What are you doing? I give it a year. <laughs> yeah. I give it like, you know what? Like, I'll say it. Some I did. OK, I'll say it. I'll, I'll go ahead and be transparent. Ones I did like. A Star is Born, the Bradley Cooper one. I did see that, and I did. I liked it. I'll Josh come at me later when you listen to this episode. I'll make you watch it. Um, 
but I I enjoyed it. I actually thought it was a well done relationship. It did show that yes, these at times were toxic, but at times you see the the underlying love they had for each other. So I did enjoy that one. I was hit by the ending myself. Um, I know it has a little more comedy in it, but that one with uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. Riley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. Like, I believe the relationship, I wasn't turned off and I could invest in it and go with it and be like, and actually watching, be like, at times I was watching it the first time, at times going, dude, go for her. Stop trying to fuck it up. She's perfect for you. And that's what a fucking romantic drama should do. That's what it should do. In terms of straight drama with no, you know, genre additives, you know, the, the, the cornflakes of drama films basically uh one of my all-time favorites is brokeback mountain that movie is one of the most beautiful tales of human love i've ever seen and i i got so invested in that you believe these characters you believe their struggle their desire to be together the you know society pulling them apart the horrifically tragic ending and just everything they went through i mean if you have a heart how do you not feel something in that movie so i just yeah one that's that's my shout out Okay. So, yeah, see, like, I'm not obviously, like I said, it's not my favorite genre. I can fully admit that. Yeah. But at the same time, like, you know, I'm, I'm at the name of film buff. I'm a movie buff overall. So, like, if you give me a good one that, like I said, I'm actually, instead of saying, going, like, why are you two getting here? But instead, like I said, it's sort of lines where I'm going, dude, stop fucking it up. That's, you got a good thing going there. Yes, that's a good one. That gets me involved. Now I'm invested. Now I'm actually going, like, probably end up liking your film. You know what I mean? And same with Tron. You know, it's like Tron. I've seen plenty of Trons that get me invested. You know, I'm a big fan of Goodwill Hunting with uh, Robert Merrams and the whole, like, it's not your fault. What? It's not your fault. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it. it's like any, it's like any other film. It has, I have to just, you got to hook me. You know what I mean? And, and mainly what I like, that means th- that those films tend to hook me in different ways that are like, okay, let's go. Or as, Traumas, romantic traumas, you got to work for a little bit harder. And when you give me something like what we'll be talking about today with Endless Love, I'm going to sit there being incredibly pissed off for two hours. I want competent writing. I want chemistry. I want investment. And then regardless of genre, you've got me. Yes. Yeah. I. You know what? I can't really. That's spoken like a true... I got nothing with that. I can't add to that. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's I, I feel the same. Well, you know, I'm, I'm also I'm dragging a lot of Oscar Sunday into this <laughs> because on that podcast, you know, it very much is talking about, you know, films that are considered cinematically great by the Academy. And a lot of that, you know, comes out of incredible writing, incredible chemistry and just investment in the story. Regardless, we just did a, a Japanese psychological horror film not too long ago that doubled as a love story that was incredibly toxic so it had kind of everything and i was invested because it didn't treat the story as like you should love these characters more it was it very much was like this fucker's trapped he needs to get out of here and yeah and that's the thing if you're going to show terrible characters in a very poor relationship a toxic relationship then the movie needs to address that it does unlike endless love it needs to address that no this is toxic this is not the kind of relationship you need to go for this is not good you know it needs to show that yeah. um 
I think it wasn't necessarily like I would say it was actually a relationship, but the more recent uh, Parasite and how it portrayed the family as parasites and how in a kind of way their relationship was a little, like toxic. They were not at all. No one in that family went, "This is bad. We should stop." <laughs> they were just all endorsing each other. <laughs> True, but I love that in that, you know, in watching that film, you can kind of think like, well, the rich family are, are, are they really the parasites here? Well, like, and what I love, yeah, the film flips it because then you have like, what is it, that once that one really awkward scene, man, when they come home unexpectedly and they're laying on the couch and they're shitting on the family and they're having like the weirdest, like, oh, God. <laughs> that was, I love that movie so much. That is such a brilliant story. Goddamn. So uh, good. I'll, I'll look. I'll I'll say that that year that came out. That's actually probably the most Oscar films I watched, simply because I actually really liked a lot of the films that were putting out. I cannot wait that to year. do a picture showdown on Parasite on Oscar Sunday. Like, um, when's it coming? Because all those films were great. Dude, so, Parasite, nineteen seventeen, uh, Jojo Rabbit. Like, when the worst movie we got is like a four-hour Scorsese gangster epic, it's a good year. Yeah, <laughs> and even then, I I know I was a little bit more. And so that film to you in Austin, where I quite enjoyed the Irishman. Um, Ford F. Fiori, like, dear God, was it just a good fucking Joker? That, yeah, Joker. That, I'll give him credit. That was a solid year. That was some good fucking films. Yeah. But Endless Love, Oscar nominated film. Uh, what did it lose to? Let's, let's find, I'm going to find that out real quick. I didn't even think about looking that up. I just, I was literally like, you, you got my text. I was so angry that as soon as it ended, I was like, well, I'm done with that. Now I just got to write the script later. Yeah, I can tell when you're like, you know, half invested in the film because you're like, this was terrible. I can tell. I can tell. Just, I've known you so long. I can tell your tone just by text. I'm like, oh, he's pissed. <laughs> I was. And it was, I was halfway through the movie when I first texted you. I was like, oh, my God, this movie. Okay, here were the nominees. This was an interesting year. Okay, we've got Endless Love from Endless Love by Lionel Richie. The First Time It Happens from The Great Muppet Caper by Joe Raposo. For Your Eyes Only from For Your Eyes Only, music by Bill Conti. So we had a Bond theme in there. One More Hour from Ragtime by Randy Newman. And the winner was Arthur's theme, Best That You Can Do from Arthur by Burt Bacharach. So Arthur's theme won that year. Okay. Just because I like the Muppets. I I would have voted the Muppets. I would have given it to Fear Your Eyes Only because I think it's fucking crazy that it took till uh, Skyfall for a Bond theme to win Best Song at the Oscars. It, it is insane to me. Every single is. movie has a song, an original song, and they're all pretty good. Yeah, it's it's like a whole thing. They released on YouTube before the movie comes out. I'm one of the few people on Earth that waits till the movie still, which was really painful for the last one because of COVID. Yes. I did like that we did get a hat trick. You know, Skyfall won Best Song, Spectre won Best Song. No Time to Die one best song. So we got three in a row. So it's been good. All right, that's good. <laughs> so I just had that quick little event. It did, like, I, I've told you before, you know, I don't listen to uh, the music or whatever before the actual film comes out. I couldn't and believe that when you told me that. I was like, so you didn't hear No Time to Die for two years. Yes. <laughs> it was really painful because it was at a point where I'm like, are they going to date the James Bond movie? Because I remember they got to that point where they're like, we don't know when it's coming out. I was like, don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah two years to not listen to it and i guess it paid off when i went to go see the movie there there's some there's some bond films i would love to do on this show some really like just horror like a view to a kill would be so much fun 
I mean, we both, I think, have the same set. Because after we did that marathon, I bought the fucking James Bond set. Yeah, and then I've got No Time to Die on Blu-ray just floating next to it. And it's, 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 it's upsetting. Because, like, I wish I had, like, the whole Craig era in that case. But now it's, like, just dangling off to the side. I know. It was funny because they made room for Spectre. So I got it, and then I bought Spectre. And then I did what they, I put the disc into the set. And put the replacement disc in my Spectre Blu-ray, and then I just put my, my Blu-ray somewhere. So I just have I have the Blu-ray of Spectre, but if you open it, you're just gonna see the replacement disc, the little <laughs> plastic one that was in the James Bond six. I one for one did. I got mine like years after Spectre came out, so it just had Spectre in there. But it was like all the deep, all the Blu-rays look similar, and then there's just the commercial Blu-ray of Spectre. <laughs> like they didn't really care that much. <laughs> Uh God, Chance Bond. What a series. Yeah. All right. Well, unless we have more to add, I was actually, I, I'll say it, like, I was struggling with questions. And I was like, I, when I wrote these, I was like, I really hope we can work off this. I was not expecting the great conversation that we had. That actually might be my favorite question you've posed on this show thus far. Like, that was a good lead into a great discussion. So well done on that front. Thank you. I, I hope you know, I work really hard on these questions every week. I'm like, yeah, I remember when I when I had to cover Masters of the Universe, I remember struggling to come up with like a discussion question. I realized like, fuck, this is hard. He does this every yeah. week. <laughs> yeah. What I love is you texted me. I gave you like two or three options about having seen the movie. So I'm like, this is either I'm getting really good at this or I just had stuff ready for this movie. Oh, yeah. Yes. It's good. Yeah, I'm glad you got a peek into what I do every week. I would say, like, the script for the most part, every single week, everything is easy, minus development health segment and the question. And I would say the question harder because that's me using my own, like, okay, what can I pick from this movie? You know what I mean? Like, what angle do I want to do, especially when I'm doing something that might be of something, a certain type of film we deal with again later. So I'm like, well, I don't, may not ask that question now, wait for later, you know, type of thing. I can't wait to see what you bring for next week's question because that is a I, hammer for a bad movie podcast is, is next week's episode. <laughs> it is, and I'm already thinking of what to do, what question to do, especially because it involves a certain actor that's had quite the bit of controversy this year. Hint, hint. <laughs> can't wait. Oh, yeah. Um. So with that, let's uh, move on to development hell. So there was not... Uh, a whole lot. I did my Google search like I did for Sex Drive. Still can't pull, pull anything up on this film. Apparently this film is just, they're doing everything in the power to bury this film. So really what this is, is tidbits of fun factoids that I cobbled together that I did get. So work with me on this. It's not my usual development hell. You know, beginning and there really wasn't that much on this film. So uh, first thing, probably a surprise to no one. Uh, originally this film stopped with an X. God. Yep. So, in case anyone's wondering, what does X mean? Let me give you a nice little, and Connor, I'm sure you know this yourself, brief history on the rating beyond R that they were struggling to come up with. So, first, there was unrated. They just went fucking rated. They just unrated with that for years. And then they went, ah, oh, we're not cool with that. So, they did X, like the movie that just came out this year. Um, but wrong with X at the porn industry, which in the 70s became very mainstream, uh, would release their films 
XXX. They were rated triple X. They didn't want to get associated with porn, so then they scrambled to come up with something else, and that's ultimately when we got NC-17. Yeah. That, yeah. That's why, for those of you who might own some, especially some horror films like Evil Dead, look at your Evil Dead Blu-ray, or 4K if you have that one. I think it says X on it, actually. I think it, it got slapped with the X rating on the back of it. I am actually looking at... No, mine says not rated. It used to be X... Um, a bunch of them will just say not rated. Mine says not rated. Oh, I've got a UK version, so mine is UK 18. They well, have a whole separate way of doing things. Yeah, so mine says not rated um, on it, but I think it got stopped with the X, if, I'm, if I recall. Um, so yeah, so in this case, this is when the X was a thing, so we got stopped with the X uh, to no one's surprise again because of the lovemaking scenes, the sex scenes, right? So that's where a lot of the cuts had to get made. Um, makes sense. I mean, first off, I get why they've been trying to bury this film for quite some time. Uh, it's technically child pornography. Brooke Shields was 15, in case anyone's wondering. Brooke Shields was she was 15 in the movie, and the actress Brooke Shields was 15 when they were filming this. And she, there is nudity, which is incredibly fucked up. And I can't believe nobody called anybody on it in 1981. I mean. What the fuck? So yeah, don't you know that you bury that shit. And uh, I I think it's really twisted that uh, what's his name Franco Zeffirelli. Yeah, Franco Zeffirelli. Yeah, that he was he made an X-rated version of this. Yeah, like, ugh. to get the X rating, even if you're not porn, right? You pretty much are showing as almost damn near the whole thing. I think you're still not showing penetration because film has such a taboo about showing that. But I mean, you're showing stuff. You're seeing thrusting. You're hearing like it's. You're essentially watching soft cool porn at that point. Like the movie showing a soft cool porn scene, essentially. Best way to break it down. Fun fact: only one X-rated film has ever won Best Picture, and that was 1969's Midnight Cowboy. And I watched it, and it's not that bad there's one gay blowjob scene that everyone freaked the fuck out about <laughs> dude people still freak out i remember when i went to go see bohemian rhapsody and how the entire audience got so awkward when freddie mercury who we all know is gay or was gay he has you know passed away um had you know the kiss on camera you know robert malik kissed the guy he would turn out to be essentially as it tells you in the movie essentially the love of his life they saved friends all that good stuff Kisses him at the party. And God, the air in the theater was just like, oh. I'm thinking like, guys, why are we surprised? Why is anyone surprised? Freddie Mercury was gay. If you're just finding out about that when you go see Bohemian Rhapsody, you are in the wrong fucking theater. You know, God's Not Dead 2 is down the hall. <laughs> yeah, this is the crazy part. It was in California. I saw this when I was in San Diego. What the fuck? I saw it in Texas, and I don't remember a change in atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, it was the weirdest thing. And then I, you know, the, the two guys, the two guys I went with, they were like, "Man, just wasn't really ready for that." I'm like, it, "It was a quick kiss." I'm like, "Jesus, why are we still at a point where like seeing dudes kiss is like, oh god?" I wish you'd yelled out like, "Yeah, get that dick, Freddie," or something like that. I should have just to fuck with the atmosphere. <laughs> Uh, you blow them real good now. You hear? I also, uh, I believe Clockwork Orange got the X, and that was also up for Best Picture. So, 
it's rare where like an X-rated film will actually make a splash critic wise, but it has happened. Yes. It's also even more rare nowadays to get anything now, like I said, now the ratings on C-17, but to get that released. Um, I know a, more, a very famous example. You saw the, you finished this franchise at my place. I don't, I don't, I think I told you, I can't remember, but Adam Green's hatchet series. Um, he, when he was filming hatchet two, he was able to pull off some kind of deal because the NPA was being dicks to release it unrated. And, you know, the, at the time AMC made a big deal, like, Hey, come see the film unrated. And, blah, and like, it was like this big thing. And then at the last they pulled it. They so wouldn't do it. What do they think is going to happen? Like, personally, I don't think film should be rated at all. I think that it should be up to the, you know, to you to decide what you can handle. You know, mm-hmm. that's it. But, you know, we don't live in utopia. No. No, we don't. But we'll stick to the podcast. We're not going into why we don't live in utopia. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, on this film, though, uh, they resubmitted the film five times to the MPAA before they finally got the R rating. And again, quick little history. I know this because, you know, I listen to a horror podcast and, man, horror filmmakers, especially directors, hate the MPA, despise the MPA. And this is why. Because when you resubmit your film to the MPA, it's not guaranteed it's the same fucking people watching. Oh, my God. Oh, that would piss me off so much. <laughs> And yes, and then there's I've I've heard incredible stories of finesse happening from especially horror directors saying like, yeah, we cut the we t- we made the changes and they watch and go without actually having done it like they didn't change a thing and then the NPA was dumb enough because it had many different people there that day or whatever and went okay cool looks like you did okay you got your R rating they go sweet and then finally they did make a fucking change to the movie. <laughs> I love that, and I also love when uh, this happens in comedies a lot where they'll put in something so raunchy and horrific and completely over the top. So the MPA will be like, get rid of that. So they don't notice all the other stuff they actually wanted in the movie. <laughs> yeah. I've heard. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like with the Seth Rogen when they, when he, he was asked how to get away with so much on the boys and he goes, we just present the most outrageous thing we can to prime first. Yep. And then we keep lowering it until they finally say yes. So we know what the line is. <laughs> yeah, that's brilliant. It's a great way to keep your darlings. Yeah, which for anyone, you know, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen season three yet, I want to know what they, what they told them to get lower down to a penis exploding. I want to know that, like, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> I bet they just had more naked people in Herogasm and Prime was like, no bad unclean and so rogan went back and put some pants on them and they were all cool with the huge dick <laughs> it's just, yeah uh so either way this film gets our rating right um now let's kind of switch it to the actors specifically the one you mentioned about brooke shields so you mentioned she was 15 right how'd they get away with that and um well part of the reason is because her manager was also her mom, Terry Shields. Um, but get this. She turned down the film after reading the script simply, simply because she felt the character of Jade had zero substance. And all she would do in the film was stand around looking beautiful. Oh, well, she wasn't wrong. 
Yeah, what's crazy is that she did eventually agree to whatever changes they made. I'm like, she still really has no substance in this movie. Yeah, it's not the right reasons you should have turned down a movie uh, that called for your 15-year-old daughter to get naked on camera. But, I mean, at least initially, she was like, no. (laughs) Well, and that kind of speaks... Well, and, like, let's be honest. Like, that speaks to me something that, of all the things that Hollywood's been getting called out on for rightful reasons, right? Diversity and the sexual abuse that's been going on for years... Yeah. One thing that for some reason has not still been talked about is the amount of damaged child stars because they have their parents getting involved and are fucking them up. Look at Amanda Bynes. Look at Lindsay Lohan. Look at all these these poor people uh, that went through what they did as kid. Corey uh, Feldman, you know, has been very open recently about the abuse he's experienced as a kid yeah. in the system, like. And apparently, Berkshire's mom, because it's, they have their parents that all they're trying to do is chase the fame that they didn't get, that yep. never came to them, but it's coming to their children, and they're willing to exploit it. Um, there's a ton of Disney stars that talk about it, um, that have made it very known they're not talking to their parents. I think Miley Cyrus at one point stopped talking to good old Billy Ray because of shit with you know Hannah Montana. Yeah. Um, it's it's just a sad, depressing trend that as this film shows what's going on then i'm sure it was going on well before this still going on and no one wants to talk about no one wants to address it in hollywood and it's fucking insane to me that of all the things we're calling hollywood out on for rightful reasons we still aren't doing anything about this yeah it's that you know child pageantry shit just amped up to an insane degree and with that you know also you know child stars are incredibly vulnerable because, you know, they're children and they're thrust into the limelight of Hollywood, which is a sick and twisted place for adults. So you throw children in there, you know, you got predators all over the place who are abusing these children and, you know, creating drug problems and like just depression and crazy shit. And a lot of these, I mean, look at what happened to Corey Haim. I mean, he got fucked up by Hollywood, died in his 30s, like broke, alone and homeless. It's and he was the, you know one of the golden boys of the eighties. Mm-hmm. It's really fucked up. It's, it, it is something that's never been properly addressed. I think um, Alex winter uh, did a documentary about child stars and uh, pedophilia. Um, I, a while think, I think he did. He's been, I've been seeing him on a lot of documentaries. He doesn't really like act, but he does a lot of documentaries and he may have been, I know he was pretty, I won't say he's been pretty vocal about that for years. Cause he, it happened to him. Uh Showbiz Kids, 2000, yeah, 2020, a documentary about the highs and lows of children in show business. It's on HBO Max. I'm going to have to check that out. Okay, I'll, yeah, I'll have to check that out. I really like Alex Winters. He, uh, he's been on the Creator VC documentaries, like the In Search of Tomorrow, In Search of Darkness stuff for horror and sci-fi. He's only been on all of those. Obviously, sci-fi because of Bill and Ted. But Do you see uh, Keanu Reeves was recently asked who his favorite co-star was ever, and without a, like missing a beat, he said, Alex Winter. He said he wants to do another. He wants to do more in Bill and Ted. Really? Yeah. So like, just I love their their friendship. It's just so wholesome. It really is because they're two really nice dudes. Yeah. I mean, Bill and Ted three should have sucked ass, but it was great. It was great, and one of the things that helped it was the fact that they were so excited to do it. You could tell they were so happy to be there. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Ah. But yeah, but yeah, it's a, it's a um, place. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, for every 
one that makes it through the system and comes out relatively fine, like your um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's. Yeah. Um, Macaulay Culkin recently, you know, he's been doing fine for the most part, right? He's actually been acting and stuff again. Drew Barrymore, Ryan Gosling, like Disney kids and all that. Kurt Russell. Yeah, Kurt Russell, the ones that do make it, you have, you know, other guys in there. Like I said, like the aforementioned Lindsay Lohan, you know, she's struggled since finally getting fully clean and sober. You know, Amanda Bynes pretty much has disappeared. Um, Look at the stuff going on with Britney Spears and the whole conservatorship. Yeah. And this isn't new. I mean, look at Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney in classic Hollywood. I mean, they were, you know, fed uppers and downers to maintain their equilibrium while they were just harassed and abused on on film sets, mostly Judy Garland. And, you know, she died of a drug overdose in her 40s. I mean, it's, she, you know, you don't get over that shit. It's, you know, when you're formative years, you're you're basically molded to fit the Hollywood lifestyle. And that's just just completely destructive to a child yeah and it i mean it is good in some cases we are seeing some i mean and i know i'm kind of was like you know we're not really because we're not we're not really in my opinion doing a great job finally stopping it i do but at the same time there are it looks like some people taking their part to help you i do see some actors that actively are trying to help these kids out um that look like they're trying to keep them away from it um, I haven't heard a lot of the bad things. I know we make fun of them all the time, but Netflix apparently does a great job with their kid actors because I'd never hear bad shit coming out of like Netflix productions with their children actors. I'm not hearing anything bad with the Stranger Things kids. They're all grown up now, right? They are seeing relatively fine. Um, the kid recently from the Adam Project, like I don't yeah. know if it's just Netflix has a some real good atmosphere going on, or they they work with great people that try to keep these kids away from that, or what's going on there. Well, and also, like, this is not the norm. You know, this doesn't happen to every child actor, but it does happen a lot, and it, it happens enough to be addressed. Yes. Um, and the culprits, you know, and I'm not trying to show anyone's childhood here because we all grew up on these channels, but the culprits are Disney and Nickelodeon. There are yeah. so many horrendous stories coming from those two studios with child actors. Um, and in, in cases like this, right, where the parents, the manager that's another scenario i've seen like it's never a good thing it's never a good thing for the child no i mean on a you know on a wider like to a, to a wider extent don't hire family <laughs> like never do that uh yeah just christ i'm i feel bad for these kids <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm always happy to see the ones that that make it through make it out yeah um but unfortunately, uh, so actually it doesn't end with Schultz though on this one. So she had that going for her, right? And then co-star uh, Shirley Knight begged the director, Franco Zeffirelli, to cast other actresses for the parts because she felt Schultz just didn't have the right talent for the character. That's weird. That's That sounds more like she's prettier than me. Get her out of here. Yeah. So you have a mom that says she wanted more substance, but the movie doesn't provide the substance. She, so I think that was all BS. And now you have a co-star that's just out, out to be, you know, out to get her like, Oh, she sure have the part. Hmm. I smell toxicity. Yes. She even had other actresses, uh, listed. She thought would be better. Would you like to hear some of them? I, I would very much. Uh, Linda Blair. Well, I mean, was she an adult? 
that's a solid question. That this, I mean, when she do the Exorcist, Exorcist was like nineteen what seventy eight, seventy seven, seventy three, seventy three. So she'd be a, an eighty one, maybe, maybe. I don't know how old she was in the Exorcist. All right, I'm I'm on the case. Okay, why you look that up? I'm going to name the other ones. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Deborah Ringer. Okay. Uh, Rose. Uh, an Arquette, Rosanna Arquette, specifically. All right. Uh, a young Jennifer Jason Lee. Okay, Linda Blair would have been 21 when they were filming Endless Love. Oh, then yeah, that would have been fine. Yeah. Good for her. Because. Oh, okay. I was about to say thanks. Yeah, because you know what? Say what you were about The Exorcist too. That barely looked good. Uh, that's all I got for that movie. And I think she escaped the child actor curse pretty well too. Yeah, and she does uh good stuff with animals now. She runs some kind of animal shelter. So good for her. Good person. Yeah, I like Linda Blair. I, I love that she had to tour the talk show circuit when The Exorcist came out because everyone in the South was like, it's the devil on camera. And she had to be like, I'm just an actress. Everything's fine. In 1973. That wasn't vomit. That was pea soup. Still sucked. They're all still alive. The devil's not real. Are you people insane? Yeah. Jesus. Anyway, Jennifer Jason Lee in the 80s. I can see her. Yeah. 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 And then this one, this would have been interesting. This would have... This is when she was, uh, before we knew who she was, I should say, a young, up-and-coming Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Okay. That was, that was the last one I had, so. She would have made this movie a lot better. Yeah, I mean, I've always kind of had a thing for Michelle Pfeiffer. 80s Michelle Pfeiffer? Oh, my stars and garters. Dude, she still looks good. I don't know how she defies aging the way she does, but she still looks good. It, yeah, well, it was all those years trapped in the quantum realm. <laughs> Ant Man joke for you there, uh, but yeah, I mean, she's gorgeous. She's a great actress. I would have totally been on board with her in this. Yeah, she probably actually would have made the, the scenes worth it. I think her and Jennifer, I think her, Jennifer Jason Lee, and Linda Blair actually would have made the scenes, the brief scenes we get, have worth it. Not that I'm, a, I have nothing against Brooke Shields. Um, He's just actually. 15. <laughs> Yes, but I'll say I I loved her in um that seventy show. She played one of uh, ah, she was one of the girlfriends for um Donna's dad. Um, wife tempor- or wife for a bit after Tanya Roberts left the show. It's been so long since I've watched that seventy show. I don't. I've only seen a few like handful of episodes. Honestly, probably can need to catch up with that nice show. I do out. like it. I do like it. I just haven't watched. it. I do like. I'm actually kind of looking forward to that '90s show, especially because I got so much of the original cast. Like, did you see uh, Wilmore uh, Valderrama? He tweeted the script. He's like, "Here we go." I just gotta remember the accent. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to hear Red threaten someone, uh, threaten to put his foot up someone's ass again. Oh my I god! Yes, I always love that. <laughs> it's the best thing ever. <laughs> oh yeah, but um, I yeah, really, I just. For, I got no beef with Brooke Shields either. It's just she's a 15 year old girl, and this is a very uh, sexual movie, and that's just very unsettling to me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's weird, and I didn't know that going in. And luckily, because I hated the characters so much, I felt nothing during these sex scenes. Thank God. <laughs> but now that I know, I'm like, oh man, you just this is even more gross. I just watched a film and eight 15 year olds having sex on camera. Yeah, it's simulated, but still, ew. You see her boob at one point. Ew. You see his ass quite a lot. Quite a bit. Please tell me at the very least he was of age. I think he actually was 17. 
Jesus but Christ. I'm going to confirm this. One second. All right. Uh, Martin Hewitt. I was like, confirm this first before I tell you the thing that this might, you might get a good laugh out of this because it's just ridiculous. He was 22. Honestly, that makes it gross. That makes it so much worse. Oh my God. Like, was, is it worse if he was 17? So now we're watching 200 people have sex on camera or the fact that he is of age having to simulate sex with an underage goer. Like what? I oh, it's I, it's gross either way. But what's more gross? Why would you put me in that Sophie's Choice situation? <laughs> Why does the movie put us in that? Jeez, it's either two children having sex or a grown man having sex with a child. There is no good answer here. It's why does why is it that an American film film puts me in this situation, but porn's never put me in this situation ever. I would assume it's because porn actually vets that shit pretty hard. <laughs> they probably do. They show up in the reputable places, not the dark web shit we don't look at. Yeah, guys, I'm talking Pornhub and browsers. Let's let's calm down. Good Pornhub and browsers. Keep it at that. Okay, that's the line. The line. <laughs> if Google ever has to tell you, like, hey, maybe don't search that, get help. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I I. This was an American production. This was a big production. This was a like an American film. I don't get it. I don't know how all this shit slipped through. Or maybe it was just, you know, Hollywood's always been so fucking creepy. Maybe they were like enticed by the idea. Me, maybe my point was like, nope, our people are eight times older. We vetted. All right, bro. We vetted. We vet, we test. Everything's fine. Vet, we test, they fuck on camera. All right. What more do you want? <laughs> uh, I wish I could say that this it ends with Brooke Shields here, but it doesn't. Oh, boy. I have one more thing. To help achieve a 15-year-old Brooke Shields, who I'm assuming has not experienced an orgasm, or maybe I don't judge what you do at the age of 15. Oh, I don't like where this is going. Achieve the look of having an orgasm during the lovemaking scenes. The director, Zeffirelli, would squeeze her big toe off camera. Okay, I'm going to look up this guy, see if uh, he was ever, I don't know, accused or indicted of anything. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, former senator of Italy. Okay. It's weird. Uh, allegations of sexual assault. <laughs> Director Bruce Robinson claimed to have been the target of unwanted amorous attention from Zeffirelli during the filming of Romeo and Juliet. Uh, Robinson says that he based the lecherous character of Uncle Monty in the film With Mill and I on Zeffirelli. Jesus Christ. I've seen that movie. That is a that's a harsh. Is, is this the Romeo and Juliet with. Oh, God. What's her name? What's her name? Uh, Christmas. Olivia, Olivia Hussey. Thank you, Olivia Hussey. Yes. He, yes you're telling yes. me he was going after something underage or whatever when he had the extraordinarily beautiful and of age Hussey on his damn film crew. Not saying he needs to sexually harass her, but I don't know. I Bruce Robinson. I don't know how old he was. He played Ben Volio. Uh, and then in 2018, actor Jonathan. 
Gaich alleged that Zeffirelli sexually assaulted him during the filming of Sparrow in 1993. So he has a thing for dudes, apparently. He's dead, though. He died at 96 in 2019. So, well, I'm getting creep vibes from this dude big time. So, so yeah. now we know he may have been squeezing her big toe, but he was looking at that dude's ass. Apparently, oh, God. Not, not, again, not, not judging your sexual preference, but it's very clear that this guy was her, uh, not harassing, but damn near molesting. This, dudes. All right. Assaulting dudes. Sexually assaulting dudes. There we go. All of this combined, the sexual assault allegations, the underage Brooke Shields, the 22-year-old guy, Zeffirelli squeezing her big toe to make it look like she's coming. All of that combined tells me this movie needs to be buried. <laughs> yeah. I get, why, the way, I get why they're doing it now. We haven't even, like really talked about the film itself. I'm, I figured we just save it when we start getting to our awards. But like, this is just the behind the scenes stuff. This isn't even us talking about like the honestly the really sh- just the terribleness of this film in general. On top of all that, it's a bad movie. <laughs> a really bad movie. One of the most toxic relationships I've seen that they attempt to portray as like love, ah, endless love, endless love. But uh. Yeah, so he screws her big toe off screen, which is just insane to me that that was happening. I hope they were of age in the remake. I'm going to assume they were. I would hope by by that time they were definitely of age. I would hope, for the love of God. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, you want to hear something else odd about Why this film? This, sure. is the last, this is the last bit of fucking shit I could find on the phone, by the way, too. Of all the films in the history of mankind, this is the beginning of the 80s, which we had things like, you know, the slasher craze going on. And I don't know, that little thing called the 80, 80s action boom, you know, with all those ridiculous stunts that were kind of happening on camera. One of those films we're covering next week on the main podcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, somehow, though, this film, this film, fucking romantic trauma, terrible one, has been noted to have one of the most spectacular one man Sound displays put on film. When? <laughs> you know when the dumbass gets sits by the car because he just doesn't bother to look across the street? Oh, yeah. Uh, I fucking hate him. I hate that character so much, too. God, I hate everyone in this movie. Um, The scene... <laughs> that, that's the scene. There's a scene, you know, where the father of Jade sees this dumbass main character we have to follow across the street and so overcome and make sure he doesn't get to his daughter in Vermont while they're in I think New York yeah because she mentions Manhattan so overcome but I have to stop him and she states away he doesn't look across the street in New fucking York even in the 80s had traffic people Um, yeah charges across gets hit by car goes flying across in there like he, he flies um, and that's that's the stunt they're talking about. Um, because apparently the stuntman did a high, as they called it, a high end over end flip in midair. I mean, it was a pretty quick cut, so I didn't notice said flip. So that's kind of a bummer. <laughs> I just explained to me in a decade filled with like the 80s, 80 again, 80 slashers, 
action icons like Stallone and Schwarzenegger, and then the other ones, <laughs> like Van Damme and <laughs> Norris, and you know the the really shitty one on Seagal. I don't know what people ever saw in fucking Seagal. Um, somehow, none of those films had impressive stunts with that one moment in this movie. <laughs> I got I got nothing. That's that's insane. I mean, why did they go so hard on that? I weird. I'm, I don't know why this is noted. I don't know why this is included because you're right. I remember reading it going, I didn't even I I did this two days, the script yesterday, so two days after I finished watching the film. I didn't really remember the stunt that well. I'm like, is it really that impressive? It's like I don't remember that stunt. I remember the fucking handshake that's shook the ward in Predator. I was like, but I don't remember this. <laughs> and I saw this film two days ago. <laughs> yeah, that's remarkable. Uh, I hope that stuntman got properly compensated for his epic flip that nobody really saw that well. <laughs> Kane Hodder almost died for us. And this is what gets remembered for stunts. Ah. On that note, let that sink in. None of these things would ultimately matter. They would not save the film as it would get incredibly poor reviews, like I said again, from critics. Uh, what noted critic Ebert saying how main character, uh, main actor Martin Hewitt was miscast, yes, and criticized the narrative. narrative. And while I have made it known, I'm not really the biggest fan of Ebert and his reviews, especially when he felt the need to shit on film and act like every film he hated attacked him personally. Shut the fuck up, Ebert. Uh, I'm actually in agreement with him on this one. I, I'm i like, yeah, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there, buddy. Yeah. I think my biggest beef with Ebert is when he'd like say a movie sucks and then like 20 years later it would be reevaluated as a classic and then there would be Raj reevaluating the movie and being like, oh, my mistake. This is the greatest movie of all time. He, he yeah. did quite a lot. Oh, I, I get it now. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but um, oh, it sucks, and that's pretty universal. It's nice to have some some universal critique here. Yeah, uh, you know, he also agrees with that. the The author that he wrote the book that I forgot to mention. This is based off a book. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, and the author hates the movie, so I get a feeling this probably doesn't reflect the book. If even the author's like, "Fuck this movie," um. <laughs> yeah scott spencer expressed nothing but disappointment at the film that was made i mean absolutely attacked it hated it and called it tepid and dreadful and like all sorts of stuff i agree yeah and how they took away the part where he he said he made a book that showed the dangers of a obsessive love and what it can do and he goes somehow they made a love story out of it in a hollywood production i mean if you just shift uh like uh points of view here if this movie's from jade's perspective it's a it's pretty much a horror movie and i'm one well and i wonder if that's what the book was doing if it was on her perspective to show the dangers of obsessive love whereas the film and i, I only say that because we know how hollywood has been for decades they probably went oh they want a male protagonist let's do it from the male perspective i wonder if that's what happened and of course, now that we know that a certain person was a pedophile, or not a pedophile, but a fucking sexual assaulter, 
um if that helps him think like oh yeah this is all okay who doesn't do this when they seek a relationship i know i do this shit so i get away with it apparently and so he died <laughs> jesus christ i'm trying to find a synopsis of the book or like anything just to see like who you know who's the who's the hero so to speak yeah, and actually, speaking of which, I uh, why are you looking at a little quick side on the whole like you know how Hollywood is with like the whole female main character stuff, right? Um, I watched a fun little thing because I had time today because I got off so early from work. Um, on a history of Assassin's Creed games, so they covered like literally from the first one all the way up to the most recent one. Uh, for those who came, I don't know where Assassin's Creed Valhalla being the most recent one. Um, and they mentioned in there, um, for those who don't know, the last two games, Valhalla Ozzy give you the choice of playing a male or female uh, main character. Um, apparently, it was revealed when they were making Odyssey, the creators... Now, keep in mind, this this game came out in, like, 2018, okay? That's not too long ago. They designed it with the female main character in mind. Like, that was it. There was no option. It was, you're going to be a female main character. One of the executives, one of the studio heads, came in and said, like, oh, we don't know if players want to play a female protagonist. We don't think that was so, so we need to put in a male. And that's when they came with the compromise say, well, if we're going to make us do that, we're doing male and female, and they can choose when they play the game. And then, sure enough, guess what happened? Most people picked the female protagonist. They made her canon. So then any DLC that has happened later in the game, one of which was actually, I got to play it in Valhalla. It was free DLC, so I got to play it. Um... Sure enough, the female was the one they used because she's canon. That's so fucked up. Like, it's it. They're not even like women outnumber men in this country, and it's a you know it's a demographic who play games. It's this this weird you know housewife mentality that every fucking game studio, TV studio, film studio still has. Yeah, it's it's that idea that like they really think we care about it being a male or female on screen. Or obviously before that, you know, they really thought if we didn't get a white straight male on screen, we won't watch men. I'm like, no, that's people don't give a shit. First off, like we talked about before on previous, you know, check out Nope. We talked about this a little bit on Nope episode. Or not Nope, I'm sorry, get out. My mistake, get out. But we did talk about Nope bit on there. Um, you know, people want to be seen, people want to be represented, people want to be heard. And on the other side of that, people don't care. They they want variety in their films. They want to see more than just them, you know, someone that could essentially just be them on screen. You know what I mean? I don't want to see a straight white male every goddamn time. Yeah. The world is not comprised of just straight white men. There are all sorts of people from all walks of life out there, and representation is very important. It's sick that people just don't understand that, even today. Like, this is... We're, yeah, we're yeah. living in the fucking future, and it feels like we're living in like 1948 sometimes. Yeah, I just I just remember that because I watched that. I remember brought up how many of the book takes place from her because it would make sense on how that does show the dangers of obsessive love. Well, um, the book is that. is still from David's perspective, but it is supposed it's his his uh, obsession is supposed to be irrational. You're supposed to not follow this guy and like. They're not supposed. You're not supposed to want them to end up together. You're, you're supposed to want him to stay the fuck away from her. Okay, so he. Okay, okay, and okay, that works. Like he's so. Yeah, it's on her his perspective, but he makes what you're saying go like 
fuck no, you need to get away from this dude. Like this is I mean, not healthy. In a scary, you know, if you if you make it more psychological, the title "Endless Love" is scary. You know, it's endless obsession. He's never going away. But the movie makes him the victim. It's weird. I think in a weird way, had this film come out close to like the '90s when things like Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, like all of those films were coming out. And I know there's obviously things I haven't aged well. In the fact that a lot of those are crazy women films, as people like to call them. And I get it. Um, I, but I, I, real quick, I feel like if you do that, you get fear. The the Mark Wahlberg Reese Witherspoon. Oh movie. yeah, you do. You would get fear, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think that's I wonder if there's any connection there because that's basically it, you know, it, you know, young couple having fun. He gets obsessive and weird and scary and she tries to stay away from him. He keeps coming. That's that's fear. Yeah. So basically, had they just waited longer, we get a film that actually shows how this is supposed to be portrayed. But the 80s apparently was a bit early 80s, I should say. It's a bit too early. They were still like, yeah, isn't this sweet, guys? He threw his life away. Oh, God. Yeah, this is a wild ride that is too long, admittedly, as well. But we'll I get checked the, Yeah, I was about to say, I checked the runtime so many times while I was watching this. <laughs> um, <laughs> Last night I watched it. I, I paused it to go to the bathroom. It was halfway through, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is endless. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I found a... Uh, Apparently on Letterboxd, I was not alone on that. A lot of people made that pun. Oh, hell yeah. Um, I thought the last thing I have, very last thing, and it's only positive, we kind of mentioned earlier, but the one thing that has lived on admittedly with this film is the, uh, like we mentioned earlier, the title song, right? I've received a lot of accolades. People still know it. It's been referenced in films to this day. So yeah, the film has gone buried, but luckily the song that people love, I personally even forgot the song. But it, look, you're talking to someone that's mostly a metal rock guy, so it's really just not my type of song anyway. Um, um, you know, at least the song did live on, and I'm sure the song probably is better than the movie. I feel like the song is. I feel like it's played at a lot of weddings, which is probably a bad omen. <laughs> you don't want to build your marriage on this kind of foundation. <laughs> no, you don't. Oh God! It's like a what is it? it uh, if you actually for I don't know if they still do it in high schools. I know they did obviously when we went to high school. Um, but how they feel needed to play um uh that Green Day song, Good Riddance, Time of Your Life. And I'm like, have you guys actually vetted these lyrics and what this song's about? Because it, it should not be played at graduation. Yeah, that was our that was our class song the year I graduated. Fucking Good Riddance by Green Day. Yeah, and I'm like, if you actually. I actually look at why he wrote that because he was pissed off at an ex that just moved and left him and didn't say anything. The name and of the song is Good Riddance. That is not something you say. That's not a positive goodbye. No. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and yet, somehow we did it. Yeah. There's a lot of songs, though, that we've taken and somehow, like, you know, are like, yeah, they're fine. I'm like, no. Like was it every move you make? Yeah, yep. like, that's a stalker. Yeah, that's a stalker song. But we're like, what a great song, guys! I'm like, no, it's about stalking. This is not about love. This is about unrequited love from afar, which is dangerous and scary. <laughs> that's yeah, it's wild. Uh, well, 
unless we have more to talk about on this film. That that was it. That's all I could pull. That's we got enough out of it. We learned Franco Zeffirelli's a piece of shit, and we, yeah. If I anything, think- you you brought stuff to the table for once on you know outside of obviously the Masters of the Universe episode. Um, Thank you for the backhanded compliment. I appreciate it. <laughs> I want to see reaction. No, you. I mean, I didn't know about the fifteen thing, nor him being a uh, sexual predator. I, the sexual predator thing I found out mid-show when I looked the guy up. I was just looking for any kind of hint, but there's a big sexual assault allegations page on his Wikipedia, and I'm like, okay, that's that's what I want. Um, but yeah, the 15-year-old thing I found out through Letterboxd, because a lot of them were like, she's 15, you fucking sickos. <laughs> I was like, is that true? So I had to look it up. I just, oh, that's disturbing. Well, <laughs> I didn't know that, but yeah, so I think we got enough out of that. Let's move on to the awards. And actually, now essentially, both give our awards and really talk about all the things we kind of hate about this film. We talked about like the really icky behind the scenes stuff. Now let's talk about the just the film itself and how bad and icky it is. Uh, but let's do it with starting with the Zack Snyder, the worst scene. And yeah, uh, quick aside, Snyder, uh, all your Snyder, all the Snyder fans out there, I need you to move on. You're not getting the Snyderverse. It's dead. It's been confirmed. It's okay. Move on. We're getting better DC films nonetheless anyway, without him attached. And hopefully he doesn't do another zombie film. With that said, you're reversing. As Captain America once said in a vastly superior film than anything DC's ever churned out, you gotta move on. Gotta move on. Anyway. uh, Worst scene of Endless Love. Uh, There are some contenders, because this film is basically just piled on terrible scenes that don't mesh but i had to go with something that was just gross and that's when uh mom just watches david plowing her daughter <laughs> just stands so on the huh i'm so glad i changed mine go on because i didn't have that written down at first you just you know at first she's like oh i shouldn't be watching this and then she just stays there and lingers because she really wants to fuck david it, it's like a really bad porno right it's like like, you know, the porn would just, first off, they'd be of age. The actors. Uh-huh. But the porn would at least have it to where, like, she joins. And I, and we know this because apparently, like, incest porn is, like, the top ten, like, most looked up shit, like, almost every year on Pornhub, apparently. <laughs> I don't know why. Probably because been... the whole generation grew up with movies like Fucking Endless Love. <laughs> where incest is just kind of glossed over in this movie, or, like, potential. I mean, it's watching. It's still fucking gross. It's it's still gross, but you know again, and porn. Well, porn would actually just be like, "Well, she's stepmom." You know what I mean? They that's how they work around it. But the point is, she would instead of watch, she would join, and then you're at you as go, "Oh, well, this just got interesting." And this one, I'm just sitting going, "This is gross." Please just walk away. Just just get out of there. Why are you watching? It is yeah, and then later on, you know, we get the follow up where she's like, "I really wanted to sleep with you," and he's like, "Sorry, I can't bang anybody except your daughter." Like, that's supposed to be something okay well, to say. I guess that just leads to mine. You just, cat's out of the bag now, oh. you son of a bitch. Because <laughs> my scene was her seducing David by referencing the time she watched him have sex with her daughter when they were both teenagers. Yeah, see? Our, they go hand in hand, like a weird mom watching her daughter bang a dude. It Look, 
we have all, as guys going up, I'm sure we've all at some point, the mill fantasy is strong, right? It's 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 strong. It, don't deny it, right? Mill fantasy, eventually the Cougar fantasy is strong, right? If I was, if I was in that position, right? Minus, like, had she not referenced the fucking time she watched me have sex with her daughter, totally would have, like, gone through with the seduction. But I'm like, well, hell yeah. I, not because I want to only have sex with her daughter, it would be the moment that she did that. She goes, well, the time I watched you had sex changed. I'd be like, oh, okay, this got weird. Then I'd be out. Before would, that, I'm totally in because her mom wasn't that bad looking. But that was when I was like, oh. That's I would have 100% gone through with it for two reasons. One, she's super fucking hot. Two, that dad put him away in a mental hospital. For five years, right? Or two two years, two, three years? Two years. It was supposed to be five, then they, they got two. I'm going to fuck every member of his family <laughs> out of spite. Say, yeah, especially when you found their divorce. I would have been like, she's hot. He hated me. They're divorced. Oh, I'm doing. And especially, she was ready, too. That's thing. She had a bathrobe on. I'm like, yeah. she was nothing on under that whatsoever. I guarantee it. I would have sent him a video. Like, I. He, I hated him so much. The dad was such an asshole, like an unbelievably yeah. over the top asshole. That yeah, I was like, I was, I was rooting for him. I'm like, dude, come on, you, you've earned it. Do it. I know. And then like when she mentions like when he you know rebuffs her right, and she has him sleep on the couch and everything. She's like, if you need to crash here for a few more days, blah blah. I'm like, dude, you ruined our great thing. It's like you could have been there for days in her bed, nonstop fucking. Why did you do? Why? Why? What you had a thing we could not start fuck the hot mom for a while and then gone back home. Well, and also like leave this fucking family alone, man. Like if you're not gonna bang, you can't hang. Just go. Yeah. It's it's weird his 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 obsession with not just the daughter. Like he's not just trying to find her. He's like trying to be a part of the family again. Not realizing dad hates him, the brother hates him, mom is always gonna try to fuck him. Like, dude, just go to Vermont, cut your losses, never talk to any member of this family again, and just be with the girl. Why do you have to also smooth things over with everybody else? There's, they, there's they don't so, like you. Yeah, there's so many options. Like, you're A, just be with the girl, yes. Or B, you know the mom wants to fuck you constantly. Yeah. It's just feel just like you know, the there were options here. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you either have an option of a relationship with, the, with a healthy relationship with the daughter, for Christ's sakes. Or an ongoing nice casual thing with the mom. You're really not losing either way, in my opinion, in that case. Um, either way, so you're going to piss off daddy. Yeah, exactly. Either, look, either way, to be a you know a guy for a second, you're getting laid. And also you're pissed off the dad, either way. There is um, no way possible he's ever going to forgive this guy for what he did to his house, even though nobody got hurt and it was an accident. Uh well, accident per se. Ish. Accident ish. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. So you know what? I'll I'll change what I said. I would probably try to shush her before she went on about that time she watched me have sex. But oh, hey, hey, I want to sleep with you. I, I'm totally down. Just please don't go further with that. Con- just don't. Just cut it off there. How's that sound? Yeah, it's weird. This whole family's dynamic is so weird. They're like. You know, free love and let's be, you know, fun and friendly. And then there's actual sex happening. And mom's like, isn't this great? And dad's like, 
she's a child. Like it just comes out of nowhere. <laughs> oh, I'll get into that. Trust me. I I'll get into that. But yes, I'm with you. It's so weird. And um, yeah, I, I think it's awesome how both our scenes involve this the mom character who I wonder how many pornos honestly sat there with the same ideals we did, but they actually, you know, went through with it and made lots of money off it in the industry. <laughs> they were like, huh, we could actually make this scenario. Difference is our guy isn't a fucking cuck and he actually goes through with it. <laughs> oh, nut up or shut up, David. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's it's a weird addition to the movie. Like we don't need mom lusting after the guy. It just it adds nothing to the story and really just makes her look desperate and makes him look kind of crazy. Or yeah, it uh, it's just it's weird. It's weird that she watched. I don't know any parent on earth, even ones that are like pretty open and don't mind their kids having sex as long as they you know use protection and stuff like that. Um. Oh, no, I'm not going to name any names, but I remember there was um, I, my mom, you know, for anyone who's my mom's super Catholic, I'll never forget when she was like appalled. I guess uh, there was these twins in my high school that their mom was totally fine with them having sex, as long as they use protection and stuff. And um, she was like, I can't believe they do that. But she's saying it to me, a hormonal teenager, who thought both twins were hot. <laughs> and I'm like, anything, you should not be telling me this right now. But, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, even if you're into, like, you're cool with that, and, you know, you parent how you want to parent. I'm not here to judge at all. Don't watch. Don't watch your teenage your teenage children have sex. You weirdo. You should. No. It's just another layer of people not acting like actual human beings in this movie, because what would have happened is she goes downstairs, she looks, and she's like, oh, sh- oh, Jesus Christ. And loudly yeah. says that, and they're like, "Mom, get out of here!" And she's like, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry." And like, climbs back upstairs. It's like, that, "Dad's like, what happened?" She's like, "We're not talking about it." Like, that's what would have happened. That's yeah. That's a that's that's a parent who was okay with them having sex, and she's like, "Oh shit, no, I don't want to see it. I'm okay with it, but I don't want to see it." And then the next morning at breakfast, there are no words exchanged. Everyone yes. knows what happened. You don't need to say anything about it. It's just bye, mom. See you later. Bye, bye. See you. See you. <laughs> David, bye. Yep, bye. Bye, Chase, mom. Bye, Mrs. Butterfield. Sorry. And then James Spader walks in. He's like, somebody boned. I can tell. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I could write a better end. <laughs> God, dude, this is like, like, so funny story, right? I was helping a friend out, and uh, when I was station back in washington i had a spare bedroom she's going through a really bad divorce messy divorce right yeah and um we lived in the same apartment complex so i was like hey um i have a free like i have a spare bedroom it was the one you slept in when you were crashing there in the horrendous heat wave oh yeah um, i was like i had the spare bedroom if you, i know the divorce is messy if you want you can crash in so you find a place and so she did now bedrooms though were side by side right um i had brought a go over one night thinking she was asleep and apparently she woke up and heard like everything mm. now she could have gone the endless love route and made it creepy for the friendship there and just walked in and been like yeah just watched just like oh but no instead she did what a normal human does didn't move from her bed because she's horrified at what she's hearing you know she really wants water <laughs> and she didn't want to wake her guy up she had her, her man over 
that she was seeing shortly after the divorce. Um, he was crashing that night. She didn't want to wake him up and then Tim hear it. <laughs> no, instead she just toughed out, hated every second of it, and then the next morning, you know, confronted me about it and made me go, Oh shit, I'm sorry. I did not know you were awake. That's a normal human reaction. She should have, I mean, in the you know, in the interest of doubling down, she should have woken him up and boned louder. That's what should have happened. You know what's funny? My my girl left, right? Like the chick I was making left. I went out and at the time I was briefly almost got back into Call of Duty because that rebooter Modern Warfare came out. And I I've turned that on to play it, and then that's when he woke up. So he woke up to me playing Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, well, I I admire his uh his sleep his ability to sleep through anything yeah and then apparently there was a time that they did it and i i was i was dumbly not aware because they were playing music in the bedroom one time and the next day i'm like hey i really like the music you guys were playing like that rob zombie and they got real awkward and i was like oh my bad rob zombie that's an aggressive bone track they turned it off when the final countdown came off came on (laughs) (laughs) a little on the nose (laughs) that's what they said (laughs) <laughs> that's that's fantastic oh sure. great people they're still together love both of them but yeah funny little story about how you know one reacts when they hear or see someone fuck brother sorry all right so now that i think we've talked quite a bit about how you should react when you know you walk in on sex or hear it you know i know that sometimes happens especially um now that I'm roommates with Josh, you know, one of us usually has to grab headphones now. Um, let's move on to the worst line, the Ed Wood. What what do you got? I I this this one's this movie's filled with them in my opinion. So I had two, Ooh, and two. two because I don't think any human being would ever say either of these lines in the context in which they are said. Um. Uh, the first one comes from, I think it's David's grandma or something, where he's uh he's getting ready. He's got his suit on for like dinner and game night at his girlfriend's house or something. None of that made any sense to me. And then they had like a full band. What the fuck was that? Right. But, I, was, I don't was, fucking know, man. I thought it was a party, but like mom and dad were there. <laughs> yeah, I guess as part of their lifestyle, like they get down with the with the kids and so their daughter's getting boned every night. Unreal. Uh well, he's got. He says, "Like I'm going to see Jade," and somebody says, "Who's Jade? A Chinese person?" I almost wrote that down. It was so incredibly like, wow, <laughs> like really, oh, the '80s and their casual racism toward mostly towards Asians. If you look at the '80s, like that was the like that was the race. It was perfectly okay to mock in the '80s for some reason. I just really hate. I don't know why. We just picked Asians in the 80s. Look at 16 Candles and the character of Long Duck Dong. Oh, God. That's... Yeah. Just not not, not a route we need to go down now on this, on this but one day. But the mom's oh. being like, you know, who's Jade? Chinese? Which is such a weird and uncomfortable line that just gets kind of like, nah, silly grandma. <laughs> Look at the crazy stuff that comes out of grandma's mouth. And the other, my other line... Comes from uh, when David's in the uh, nut house and some guy walks up to him, I think an orderly, and is like, hey, time for therapy. And the 
David's like, I'm not going. And the orderly's just like, well, all right. But this is the fourth week in a row that you've skipped therapy. And I thought, when you're at a mental hospital because of a court order, are you allowed to just not go to therapy? No, no, they make you go. And if you if you are really adamant, you pulled out there by his parents would not fly. They'd be like, he hasn't been going. No, he has not proven that he can fucking be out of here. Yeah, I had a feeling something wasn't kosher with that. No, <laughs> it's just such a no. weird line of like, well, you know, it's your life. <laughs> yeah, not there, it's no. not. And even if, like, let's say the five years hit, then they'd be like, have you gone? No, where you can stay longer. Like, because the therapist has the power. He's going to be like, he hasn't seen me once. They're the ones who judge whether or not he's sane and ready to reenter society. Frankly, I don't think he should have been there. He should have been in prison. But because uh, he's not crazy. He's just an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. I... But yeah, that line was just so weird. Like, well, not my problem. Not my fault. You're skipping therapy four weeks in a row. I mean. I'm sure in reality, it really isn't. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there's only so much he can do. And at most, I, I would assume if that happens and it's like, hey, let me, I'm going to go talk to the therapist. You know what I mean? Like, well, we'll go talk to him and then they'll tell me what to do from there. Well, it was more just the fact that, like, this doesn't add up. He, he can't just not go to therapy when he's been sent there by the court to receive. Yeah. Therapy. No, no. I mean, that really would have to. Even if that's the way he pulled it, eventually he's going to have to take care of it. And because it won't eventually get orderlies to make him fucking go the orderly also was rocking kind of a huey lewis look because it was the 80s and if you had those giant glasses you basically were rocking the huey lewis <laughs> huey lewis had some hits right i love huey what are you talking he did basically the back to the future soundtrack i fucking adore huey lewis hip, hip to be squared hip to be square the heart of rock and roll uh there's more, I'm sure. There's more. <laughs> I, I remember it hip to be scared because of Ice Nine Kills, this like horror battlecore band. They did a a, a, a a song. That's what they their songs are based off like horror movies and stuff. And they yeah. did one for American Psycho and they called it Hip to Be Scared. It was a really good song too, actually. I want a new drug. There's another one. Okay. Give me your give me yours. So I only had one um for mine, and it actually goes back to that scene I just talked about. And it's when she's talking about the, the Jade's mom, Mrs. Butterfield. It's talking about the book she wrote. People, quick, by the way, Stifler's mom, better portrayal of a cougar and a milf, in my opinion, because Stifler, that, first off, that dude actually committed to what was presented to him. Good for him. And I'll say this, Jennifer Coolidge, that was about sex, not love, and it should be about sex. Yes, it was about sex, and guess what? He scored Stifler's mom all four fucking films. Good for that, man. I don't think he got her in the fourth. I think Stifler got his mom in the fourth. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought he got her in the fourth. I've only seen American Reunion one time. I need to watch it again. I think they substituted that because it was like, finally, Stifler gets one back. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Those are good movies. Better movies. Um, <laughs> But, you know, back to the movie. Yeah, she's talking about the book she wrote, apparently, and he asks her, oh, what's this about? And this is what comes out of her fucking mouth. It's about the time I saw the two of you making love. Why is the movie trying to justify so hard that goddamn scene? Why? First off, they're teenagers. They're not making love. Let's calm down, people. They were fucking. 
I am so tired of films. And look, this is someone that loves the show Boy Meets World. So I understand why you can roll your eyes because obviously Coin's banging it right. They meet in school, they stay together. I would argue so handled better in a fucking sitcom. Um, with that said, even then, teenagers don't make love. I don't care if it's your high school sweetheart you're so married to. It's not love. You're that awkward moment when you're trying to figure out what the hell sex is anyway. It's not making love. You're trying to figure out what the fuck to do. You're fucking. You're fucking. Uh, you're not wrong. Calm down, Mrs. Butterfield. I think it's freaky that that one moment was so impactful to her life that she wrote a whole goddamn book about it and has been holding on to that like weird fantasy for a few years. That's that's really disturbing. Everything about it's disturbing. It's like, why did this hold you so much? I love how just that whole scenario just shows how shitty her husband probably is in bed. Yeah, if you notice, when uh, while they were making love downstairs, he tried getting some in his trunk and stupor, and she was just like, no, I'm good. <laughs> Do you have the pale ass of a, of a 22-year-old? No, then I don't want any. <laughs> no, you're, you're depressed. You're a fucking terrible old man trying to stay hip with the young kids by partying with them and playing your shitty fucking music. Fuck off, Hugh. Fuck yeah. you. You're like, you're the high school, you're the guy that graduated high school but didn't leave the town and keeps showing up at high school parties. You're disgusting. You're pathetic. Move on. With that, like, you know, fake wisdom shit that he has where he, like, acts like he's seen the world when really he's, nah, just read about it. And he's, I hate him so much. Yeah. God. Fuck that guy so much. Fuck his character so much. <sighs> so anything you want to add before we move on to the worst performance? Nope. All good. Like we're kind of ready for this one, honestly. Um, well, let's do it. The Steven Seagal. And this was hard because there's so many people to pick. That's how I put it. It was hard because of the amount of people I could pick. Yeah. I had to go with my gut. I gave it to Martin Hewitt as David Axelrod. Damn, we had the same person. I thought we might be different, but yeah. He is fucking unbearable. Just his, you know, what? Like his so stilted delivery, his reactions, everything he says, like, yeah, I don't buy it at all. He he doesn't have any, like, there's no love in this endless love. I never buy any sort of chemistry. It's just stilted as fuck the whole time. And yeah, he, yeah I agree with Ebert. He was miscast. Yeah, it's a terrible performance, but for a terrible character, so many times I'm sitting there going, dude, let it go. She didn't get your letters. Why? Do you... I have a big problem. I mean, I actually texted you about, I told you about this because of, uh, you know, recently um, Superman Lowe's the second season dealt with the fact that their oldest son got exposed from school because he got caught with drugs, which he got from his girlfriend, and he would not fucking reveal that it was his girlfriend. And I'm so let me tell you something to all the young, if we have any young audience members, there's no female, or let me really, you know what, let me get to your basic male instincts right now. There's no pussy good enough to waste your fucking life away. None. Okay. At all. And not, <laughs> I don't mean like being married, like obviously that's fine. I'm talking like in this case of like, 
when I'm talking about with Superman Lois or like this, where one guy expelled in Superman Lois, he gets expelled from school. His life is literally, he's ruining his life. Not fucking worth it. In this case, he went to a mental asylum. He goes to Jonathan movie. Not worth it. So that's what I mean. To clarify, for everyone's like, oh, well, what about obviously marriage and stuff I'm not talking about? I'm talking like legit ruin your life. Not a single, not worth it. Here's not. the thing, though. It wasn't even a, you know, you're done. It wasn't even a, you're broken up forever. It was give her some time to get her grades back up and then we'll talk. Like, that, yeah. was, the, that was what led to this absolute crazy, like, you're destroying our lives bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah. What? And that's what I mean. Like, dude, was it worth it? Like, literally, first off, you're in high school. I'm sure you'll meet someone else at some point. So calm down this moment. Two, before he got really annoying, good old Hugh, he came up with a pretty, like, not bad deal, which was, hey, her grades are slipping. I don't want you here until her grades come back up. We will re-talk in 30 days. Yeah. If your love really is that strong, then it can withstand a 30 day suspension. I mean, he was so worried about somebody else asking her out. He didn't even stop to think maybe she'll turn him down. Like, how about you trust the girl you seem to be like in love with that bothered me more than anything. When like somebody's going to ask her out, it's like, well, she's going to say no, if she really loves you. (laughs) Like, yeah, she's also, and also he said, not come over. So you guys can still hang out at school. Which is like what? And when I think it's like what eight, seven hours of your day? Yeah, it's for America. a teenager, it's most of the most of the day, most of the week. <laughs> Five days a week. You can spend it with her at school and then you just can't do weekends and after school for Jesus thirty Christ fucking Christ. days. You had you threw everything away over literally nothing. Which is why I reiterate there is no woman or person where everyone say worth ruining your fucking life over. Holy shit. Also, he's a senior dating a freshman, and that's creepy. Yeah. He was just in middle school. Yes. Ugh. Oh, trust me. I I know, because I think, uh, pretty sure it was a freshman that liked me when I was senior, but I was like, no, oh, that's weird. And I, but also, you also got my, I graduated high school when I was 19, so I was like, at that point, like, really trepidatious about anything below, you know, a certain age. Like, oh, I don't want to, I know I'm still in high school, but I'm also like, fucking 19 well if michael bay is anything to be taken as gospel you're protected by texas law oh you know what's sad probably i can probably take that by gospel because one is michael bay and two is fucking texas yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, God. i also yeah. i want to point out real quick i hate his name david axelrod is he like a professional car thief on the side like what is this name or a porn star or a porn star. That's true. I don't like how I've been able to bring up porn so much in this fucking episode. Yeah. Is he fixing cars or is he waxing them? <laughs> anyway. <But> yeah. It, <laughs> it's a weird name. It, yeah. This uh, this guy isn't. This is. I mean, most of the characters are insufferable. And the reason I picked him was because he's our main character and he's insufferable. You know what I mean? Like, at least he, at one point after the fire, he disappears for like a good chunk of the film. And I can move on. He is front and center, and just the mo- worst character to follow. He he is like I think getting thirty day break after school essentially is so bad, and then listens to dumbass Tom Cruise to light the house on fire. 
And uh, then it just keeps making it worse. And then it's told like now you can't spend five years because you're a dumbass and almost destroyed their house. And then when by the way, he's told, hey, you can at least you're out in two years now, you can at least live your life within your home. Ruins it by saying, Oh, let me go see her, and then ends the movie in jail. In fucking jail. He was 17 in the movie. Like, why wasn't he just sent to juvie for a few months? Well, in no, he was 17 at first. Remember, he spent that time in the mental place. By the time we get out of there, he was above the age of 18. Well, no, I meant the first time. Like, why what instead of the mental place for the you know the minor arson? Why wasn't he sent to juvie? I mean, that's not an insanity thing. Well, it's probably it probably had to do with how it shows up on a criminal record type of thing. You know what I mean? I'm sure there was some, I, you know, you're, it's kind of indicated that both these parents, well, obviously his parents are probably honest, wealthy. There's some power that they have. Weren't they lawyers? Um, yeah, so um, I think so. So I'm sure there was a legality they found to do that that would look better. You know, ideally, had he not gotten so obsessed and wanted to pursue, you know, obviously a future in life, that would look better than saying, oh, you went to Juvie? What the fuck? Well, your Juvie records are sealed. As like as an adult, they can't like nobody can see that unless they're like there's a court order. So that actually probably would have been the better way to go for his future. <laughs> probably, but I don't think anybody did any research. No, no one did any research. Either way, terrible character that we had to follow. Like those is life away for nothing. Which is as I said with this and like Superman Lois. You you saw my text. I fucking hate storylines like this so much. I fucking despise them. I'm like, stop throwing your life away for, or stop it. God, stop it. Yep. I agree. Uh, That's all I got got with that. Just don't throw your life away, guys. It's like, and gals, don't throw your life away for someone else. Like, focus on you at all times. There's always more pussy and dick. If you learn anything from us, that that is what you should learn. Yes. I know for a fact there's more. There's tons of it. You just got to know where to look. Yeah. With that, let's go to Michael Bay. It's weird that this is the next one. (laughs) Hey, we've brought up Michael Bay and Steven Seagal independently in this episode. And it's worked so well in this one. (laughs) Uh, Worst filmmaking decision. What do you got? Tom Cruise in Daisy Dukes. I did not need to see that. Not I even like Tom Cruise in his prime. No, it's like Tom Cruise with dumb face. He looks like Matt Dillon. Like what happened? It's like between this and fucking risky business, he had a complete facelift. But well, I mean, he did. Yeah. I think before he got famous, he had like really fucked up teeth, and he got them like fixed. It wasn't even the teeth. Like- it was like the whole structure of his. I didn't even. I couldn't even tell it was Tom Cruise until he started talking. I I was I remember because I texted you and I was like because I'm watching it. I'm like, is that who I think it is? And he started talking. I was like, oh my God, that's Tom Cruise. And I looked it up and sure enough, Tom fucking Cruise. Yeah. It's such a weird scene. This guy we never have seen, we've never seen before and never see again, just shows up and is like, hey, you know what's really hot? Arson. You should try that. And he's like, huh, maybe I will. So this dude just shows up to ruin his fucking life, give him, gives him the worst idea of all time. And also it's Tom Cruise, no shirt on in tight Daisy Dukes. And I just don't want to see that. I don't need to know what kind of, you know, what size grapes Tom Cruise is packing. I don't need to know. I don't want to know, but now I know. So thank you so much. Endless love. 
I mean, it's more interesting than anything in this movie, if you ask me. <laughs> you know, I knew this girl once, and I faked a fire on her front, like on her front porch, and then we hooked up. It was great. So, do with that information what you will, David. Never see you again. That's a I'm horrible Cruise. I'm out. <laughs> cruise away. You should say something like that. Cruise mobile activate. <laughs> it's a it's a boat. He gets his like sea org hat on and just floats away. <laughs> oh. It's a cruise ship. <laughs> my my filmmaking decision, you motherfucker. God damn it. Oh god damn it. I hate that you did that. <laughs> uh, what I picked was the fact that they were trying to tell a story, right, of the dangers of obsessive love, which they fell at it on just a fundamental level. But moving on with that, try and tell this, but they have one of the families involved living a bohemian lifestyle, a trades family, and the other shows absolutely no interest in their kid in the beginning of the film. So I'm like, you're trying to tell me a dangerous, a dangerous obsessive love story, but you have two of the worst families ever committed to cinema involved <laughs> that technically kind of in uh enhance the behaviors you have one feeling that's not trying to into their kids so who knows what the fuck he's doing because they don't care and you have no one that's trying to be the cool parents are getting down with what the kids do on the weekend so it's like but then when they notice hey he's over a lot fucking our daughter we need to put a stop to that like well no you're having parties and inviting teen let's go over that adults inviting teenagers to party, drink, do drugs, all that stuff. What the fuck? It's okay. They're bohemians. <laughs> Apparently, you can do whatever you want when you're a bohemian. <laughs> it is weird. Yeah. I do love the, the idea that, like, you know, hmm, he's over here fucking our daughter a lot. I wonder what that means. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... It's not great setup. No, you can't. You can't try to paint like a more high ground when you have the worst background that these kids are kind of coming from. We've seen the fact that honestly, she ended up like Jade ended up halfway normal. It it's kind of implied at the end of the film that she did is impressive. Like, I got the different. I got the opposite vibe. I mean, she's going to visit him in prison despite the fact that he's responsible for her father's death, pretty much okay, destroyed her before, family. Before they showed that part, when she was like, oh yeah, she went to college and I don't love you. And I'm like thinking, oh wow, she actually turned out quite fine. Yeah. But then yeah, they quickly fucked that up by going, he loves me, I'm going to visit him in prison. <laughs> well, first he throws her on the bed and is like, you love me! You love me! Tell me you love me! <laughs> Jesus Christ! I know. After she's like, I came here to tell you we need to break up or whatever. Like, I thought you guys established that, but okay. Yeah, you probably could have just not shown up here and everything would have been fine. Yeah. I could have just called. I had um before I saw Tom Cruise in, in the Daisy Dukes, my my um uh, my worst decision was with most love stories, we see how they be how they fell in love. We see we're along for the ride of like, this is why they're in love. This is how they met. Like we were invested. This movie begins deep into the relationship where they're already way in love and we don't ever see why. And that 
like right from the get go, I've got no investment. So yeah, it yeah it. This film was a horrendous job. With the I most of my other like when I was racking my head for films, it all involved around essentially love because this film I just thought this is one of the worst love stories I've ever seen committed to film. Um, Endless lust that should have been the name of this. Yeah, that's the porno parody. Um, which is actually not a bad parody top, but um, I just went with this because it's like for me, it's like you can't, like I said, you can't try to paint this moral high ground you're trying to paint, right? If the, uh, and again, I'm not, this is not on the author of the book. It sounds like he actually knew how to fucking handle this story, but this is on the screenwriters um, and the director um, that are trying to paint a moral high ground of like, this is why, you know, you know, he's dangerous and blah, blah, blah. And it's, this is the dangerous obsessive love, but you're doing it where neither one really has a normal background. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not seeing, like, well, they really love David and, like, what the fuck's going on? Why is this happening? You know what I mean? Like, that would have worked better had they come from a normal background. And you see how, almost how easy, if you don't keep your emotions, especially as teenagers, right? Yeah. That emotion of love and checking how you become obsessive and just destroy your life would have worked way better for me. And actually, I would have been more invested. But when you're trying to tell that, but you present one family that pretty much, like, establishes they fucking ignore the shit out of their son and then the other and also when they do show him attention they excuse shit he's done they help him out and then you have her family that's like getting down with the kids and trying to relive their youth and be hip and cool with the kids and throw these lavish parties and stuff i'm looking at the remake here just i wanted to see who was in it and uh they changed axelrod's last name he's David Elliott now, because Axelrod is a ridiculous name. Bruce Greenwood is Hugh. Uh, Robert Patrick is David's dad. Jolie Richardson is Hot Mom. And uh, apparently it's the same story. So 2014, this was remade. The tagline, say goodbye to innocence. This That's came crazy. out Valentine's Day, by the way, because, of course. Oh, my God. So one day, we'll get to do this again. <laughs> Deadpool's the best film that came out Valentine's Day, and I'll leave it at that. So let's move on to our silver lining. God damn, I'm not looking forward to doing that remake. That's going to be way down the line, so I don't want to visit this story again anytime soon. Um, but let's move on to our silver lining. Uh, the one positive, which this was one of the most difficult, like my top five most difficult things I had to think of. Yeah, to so, quote... One of my favorite YouTube channels, uh, Pitch Meetings. This was super easy, barely an inconvenience. Because uh, Hugh got hit by a car. Fuck him. <laughs> as soon as that happened, I was like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> Finally, some comeuppance for being the world's biggest prick. <laughs> it is like, why? Like, dude, like, I get it. You see the guy that like you despise. But like, dude, New York, come on. Even in the 80s, they had bad traffic. You need to look before you cross New York Street. Those cars don't stop. You Have you, you been to New York City? No, I've heard stories. It is a big place. It is one of the biggest cities on Earth. The odds that you would just run in <laughs> to your ex-girlfriend's father are astronomical. Not a chance in the hell. You're looking for one person in New York City you better know where they live or you're never going to fucking find them. That's not how it works. So that already was like, no way. 
And then they connect eyes and there's this like, like he's Hugh's sense of urgency comes out of nowhere. It's like, why does this have to happen right now? And then he just wanders into traffic and gets blitzed by a car. And then David just watches him die. <laughs> just stands there. Is like the, the fiance is like, help me. And he just basically says, Nope. You're the only thing standing in the way of my love. He said that with his eyes right there. Yeah. Like, oh, this is a sociopath. Yeah. Which would lead to his God, finally his fucking downfall. Um, but I just loved but, watching that asshole get spun through the fucking air by a cab. I was like, oh, I'll t- yeah. Because again, NYC cabs don't stop for shit. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> nope. Yeah, it. The, apparently, one of film's greatest stunts of all time. Fuck me, right? Um, but that was satisfying to watch him. Honestly, I was satisfied to see him die, not because he was standing the way I love, but yeah, because he's a colossal prick. And I was like, oh, thank God, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm interested to see what you had. I I dug deep. I went a little outside the box, and that's the fact. That this film single-handedly for me made more beloved romantic traumas look like cinematic masterpieces. I so everything's better by comparison. That's your yes, yes. <laughs> I don't really like this genre, but I'll sit through the notebook again over this. I'll sit through Dear John. I'll I'll fucking sit through Twilight again before I sit through this goddamn movie. <laughs> Well, they're all they're all on our potentials list because this genre has very few critically acclaimed films. I know. So that's my server lining. Good job, Endless Love. You made a genre I hate. Look at the ones that are like fan beloved. Look like cinematic fucking just gold. Works of art. Mona Lisa's. Good job, Endless Love. Damn. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't think we've ever had something like that before where we watched a movie that's so fucking bad it makes the entire rest of that genre look like pretty good. <laughs> that's funny. It's probably, it's probably the only times I just don't like this genre. You know what I mean? Like comedies I love. So a bad one's just like, well, that was a bad one. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I gotcha. This is not only is it, you know, two hours long and a genre you don't like, it's terrible. Yes. Nothing <laughs> was there's nothing in my corner going into this movie um weirdly enough you know hey i did accept outside my comfort zone for the the show and it certainly won't be the last so Uh, unless we have anything more to say about our awards the movie i i really don't i'm i'm ready to fucking go to our next man and wrap this shit up (laughs) Let's, let's just go to what's in the box shall we Okay, so we're not alone on this one. 2.2 out of 5 stars. So, pretty bad. (laughs) Uh, I've got 5 here. Some stuff we've already talked about, because everyone who hates this movie is in pretty much agreement why. (laughs) So, here's here's 5 letterboxed reviews to make you laugh. This first one comes from Ellie. Not sure what I expected from Tom Cruise's first screen role, but laughing maniacally about committing arson seems about right. Half a star. (laughs) He told us exactly who he was from day one. 
and no one paid attention. <laughs> they got they got too entranced by those risky business cocktail moves. Yep, F- Fokker can dance. Everyone was mesmerized. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, this next one's from Lola. This film would have been so much better if it hadn't pitched itself as a romance, but instead is what it really is. A psychotic teenager who grooms the daughter of a bizarre, quasi-incestuous bohemian family who are all erotically infatuated with him. One star. Yeah, that's basically what we were saying. Had this been marketed as like a horror film, like a psychological, I probably would like it more. There's plenty of out there, like you've seen my collection, out there horror films that I'm totally into, and had it been built as this, I probably would have been like, this movie's great. You can probably, probably recut this thing as a horror film pretty easily. You take the title, you get you make it that like drippy blood font, Endless Love. <laughs> Put like a fucked up heart shape on it and like a cleaver or something. Yeah. You, you got a slasher film. <laughs> uh, some way more. You know what? He's on to something. He's on to something. <laughs> this next one's from... Chicks, Relix, Publix. I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of X's in this. Uh, I love it, but what the fuck? Four and a half stars. <laughs> I, you know what? I understand. There's plenty of like again those whole films I've been talking about, like Spookies and um, Blood Harvest and Demon Winter. I'm like, I like this movie. What the fuck did I just watch? And I, you can apply that to all sorts of genres. Sometimes there's a movie that's absolute shit, but you can't help but get lost in it. I just can't believe it was endless love for this person. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. Oh, that was a good, that was a good punchline. I, you know what? I approve that punchline. <laughs> I try. Uh, this is funny. Uh, from Kane Johnson. It sure felt endless. One and a half star. That seems to be just universal for everybody who watches. It's like endless love, accurate title. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I'm telling you, I think I hit the hour mark and I was like checking the time almost every 10 minutes. I'm like, oh my God. It's so the remake cool. is 12 minutes shorter. So something got cut. Hopefully, uh, you know, Trade's mom watching David fuck her daughter. I wish he'd like noticed and doubled down. Like, yeah. That's what I'm doing. I'm I'm boning your daughter. Just been like a complete asshole about it. Well, she's just coaching him. Like, no, move a little bit more to the left. She you starts. Need, she starts her. painting Deeper. him. Yeah. She sets up, Come on. She sets up an easel and is like, more to the left. I can't see. Can't see your pubes, David. I need to see. Come on. No, don't put it in. Firelight. Yet. We need firelight. Don't put it down. Don't put it in yet. Go down first. Go go down. Get her ready. Come on, David. I'm honestly the way we were introduced to this family. I am. I was surprised this was not some sort of like team building exercise. <laughs> like they're all just like <laughs> pulling for him. It's it's like that scene in Midsummer where there's just someone behind him, hands on ass. Just there you go. That's right. Keep that rhythm, buddy. She <laughs> seems to be really enjoying it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um. And then my fifth one here, this is from uh, Luker3C14. She was underage in this movie, so that makes it even grosser. Half a star. Just ending on some realism here. Yeah, 
Fuck you, Franco. <laughs> yeah, not James Franco, the other groomer, Franco Zeffirelli. It's funny the way how it works. I think it's fucked up that I got to clarify that. I'm not talking about that creepy Franco. I'm talking about this one. Oh, I was laughing because I think they say that in um, uh, this is the end. One of the characters goes, "Fuck you, Franco." <laughs> probably, probably. It made me laugh. <laughs> ah, beautiful. Well, that's what's in the box. Ah, those were good. Those were good ones. I like those. Yeah, I agree yeah. with all of them. I love doing well, this segment. <laughs> I don't agree with the four and a half star one, but you know what? I get it. I. I I understand. I don't know how this was of all the films to do it on. This was it, but I get it. Um, I definitely have plenty of horror films where people are like, do you really like them? I'm like, yeah. Like, yeah. What did you like about it? Uh, let's not ask that question. Don't ask that question. <laughs> Once you start thinking about it, it all unravels. So just don't think about it. <laughs> don't think. The movie, look, it, it's clearly like two films shot. They somehow put me into one film. Nothing really meshes, but I, I like it. It's fucking fucking spookies um before i reveal what uh it's on what next week's episode is uh let's go social media stuff follow us on facebook twitter and instagram under filmgasm productions if you want to shoot us a recommendation feel free to email us at filmgasm at gmail.com as of now there's still an opening in the schedule that you know time's running out i'm probably gonna i'm hoping to have time to finally come up with something this weekend so still an opening for any recommendations uh, if you'd like to donate and support us in that way, you can find us on Anchor. And then finally, feel free to get on our site, filmgasm.com, for reviews, shows, articles, and all of our episodes. Next week, we'll be taking a look at a blockbuster film, which almost, almost derailed Will Smith's career. Unlike his current situation, did do. <laughs> his blockbuster, Wild Wild West. This is, I'm not going to lie, I enjoy this movie. I saw it when I was a kid and I enjoyed it and I haven't seen it like in years. It's a terrible fucking movie, but it is a fun watch, especially with a buddy. And it's, I'm looking forward to watching this with you when I'm up there. This is going to be fun. Uh, But yeah, it is amazing that Will Smith was able to weather such horrific films. And then his own dumbass got his career destroyed. (laughs) Yeah. Or, except unless you're Marlon Lawrence, apparently he thinks that the production of Bad Boys Four isn't delayed, which he said, or isn't affected, which he said after they confirmed it got postponed. I was like, I don't do you what? If you would have told me one of them was gonna fuck up Bad Boys Four, I would have put everything on Martin Lawrence. <laughs> like in in like 2020, I would have been like, of course he did something, but not Will Smith. <laughs> but we'll get to that next week. I'm excited. Yeah, this is gonna yeah, be a good one. Is I just had a point that I just find me that studio's like, yes, we had to postpone the production of you know Bad Boys Four. Then Martin Lawrence, yeah, I don't think it's uh you know gonna be affected as much as people say. I'm like they they just postponed it. You he got a he got a taste of box office success once again, and then it all went away as fast as it came back. So now he's like, no, wait, we got another one. It's, we got we got one more in the tank. I promise. What if no one just told him? Like he's just still thinking it's coming out on time. He's just sitting there rocking in a rocking chair. Like we're gonna start production any day now. It's coming out next year. It's gonna happen. We're gonna do this. Well, Will told me nothing changed. 
I can't wait to properly rip Will Smith apart next week. Oh, a long time coming. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, outside of that though, you're probably for those of you who have been keeping keeping on keeping on with Gauntlet on Filmgasm. I'm happy to announce for all the fun we've been having, it's coming to a conclusion. But one of the manliest movies of all, I will challenge you if you try to tell me anything's more manlier. I know we live in a John Wick world right now. This is the manliest film of all time. The action horror. Come at me, Colton. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> I'm going to say the title. Sorry. Action horror classic Predator. Oh, yeah. Oh, you son of a bitch. It's going to be great. My favorite line I can't repeat on air. Yeah, we'll get to it. I understand. Not a good word now, but... At the time, only Jesse the body Ventura could say <laughs> something like that with yes. zero consequences. It's just so ridiculous to hear. I, I have to... I'm just like, why would you say that? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Great side for before I go on about Forrest, you know, in this with you know Oscar Sunday and all that. Um on my insert tomorrow documentary, the five plus hour documentary on 80 sci-fi, they they talk about Predator, they put Predator into that documentary, cool. which I'm like, cool, I'm totally with, right? Because it's sci-fi, it's horror, it's action, it's all of it. Guess who is the ambassador for that film? Who? Jesse the Body Ventura. <sighs> Beautiful. The sexual Tyrannosaurus himself. Yes. He talks about it. It's very loud still. The man does not have an inside voice. <laughs> oh, that's, it, it wasn't five hours long. I would I would check that out, but that is an intimidating runtime. When you look, I do recommend watching those, but do what I do. Right? That's how I did it. First of all, I actually watched it when I was on my my isolation during COVID. Um and I broke it up. I actually, because of the isolation, I broke it up in half. Something like that would be like for me a three or four day watch. You know, I'd watch it kind of over time. So I, I personally, with that and like the insert tomorrow documentaries, I recommend when you have the shot, do it. Just break it up. Do not sit through one sitting. Okay. Just kind of be like, like let me do an hour, hour and a half, and then I'll watch them all later. Because the beautiful things with those, they do it decade by decade. So they'll do like nineteen eighty one. Talk about some oh nineteen eighty. Talk about some films from nineteen eighty. Then they'll have like a segment about like let's say FX for horror. They did like FX, you know, spotlight. And they'll talk about all the FX stuff in horror in the eighties. Then they'll do eighty two. Yeah, yeah. They'll do eighty two, and then there's spotlight or something, and so on. They do the same thing with the sci fi ones, so you can break it up like that if you want to. Cool. Yeah. So I again recommend. I just say if, if you do break it up, and if it helps, they do it decade by decade or year by year. Um, but with that, getting back on this on Oscar Sunday, we—that's right, we—I'll be back on this one because uh, I'm just having a grand time with this gauntlet, and just getting as well as I can before I take my step back a little bit and you know take it take it easy for a bit. Um, but we will be talking about a beloved animated live action hybrid family classic, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm, what a wonderful, wonderful movie. It's a building block. One of my building blocks. I had it on tape. I watched it all the time as a kid. It's uh, 
it's sacred. It's a wonderful film. Still holds up. It's amazing visually. Yeah. I'm excited to talk about it because I'm coming from a perspective of actually didn't see this until I was in college for the first oh. time. Right on. I I got introduced to Robert Zemeckis because of my parents at like the earliest possible age. So I had a a big affinity for this guy growing up that has not changed. And I, I saw it in college and I fell over immediately. Even as like, you know, I was in my 20s and was like, this movie is wonderful. Yeah. It's hilarious. And, you know, despite being a movie mainly for kids, it fucks. So weird to say right now because of the show movie we just talked about, but yeah, it, I'm, I'm, it's I'm, it's like Clerks too. I'm bringing it back. <laughs> it, okay, real quick, so much. Clerks three looks wonderful. That's oh my god, fantastic! I can't wait. Oh. <laughs> what if for like, in, what if I like instead of like saying here from Roger Rabbit, I just say everyone for Lumen like Looney Tunes back in action. God, that's that's something we can do here. <laughs> I know. I like that movie too, honestly. Yeah, and look, if we talk about that, there are certain actors I will never disrespect. One is Keanu Reeves, two is Brendan Fraser. Well, with that, I think it's time to say yes. Let's, let's say goodbye now that we've leave this fucking film in the dust. Until then, take this from a guy nearing his thirties and my co-host in his late twenties. There is no love, especially especially in high school, worth risking your future over. Move on and always focus on yourself first. See you next week on Beyond the Bed.